Hi, friends. How are you? If you don't know, my name is Bailey Sarian, and I am here because it's Monday. So that means it's murder, mystery, and makeup Monday. I am dying to do some makeup and talk about some true crime because this story, today's story, was one of those that I watched every court trial case I could watch on YouTube, like hours. I got it very um, involved with this story just cause let me just tell you about it. So in order to understand today's story, we have to start with Bob Todd. So it's the 1980s and we are in Bensalem, Connecticut. And Bob over here, this guy, Bob, uh, he was like a family man, father of two small children. He was married to his wife, Loretta, and he worked full time as a special education teacher. And he even, like even after school, he would coach wrestling for the kids. He seemed like a great guy. I'm just kidding because I'm here right now, so he can't be a great guy because Bob over here was actually just a really busy man. Other than his wife, Bob also had another lover, a little side piece over in like the town close by. Not really sure how they met, but it had gotten so serious that the two ended up being engaged. She had no idea that he was married. So he's engaged and married. And then get this, cause it gets even better. Bob also had a 17 year old girlfriend. On top of all that, he's got a wife, a fiance and a girlfriend. This man, busy, okay? I don't know how he had time to juggle all of that. I don't even know how, how does he keep up all the lies? That's just a lot of work, man. Anyways. That's what he was doing. But Bob, he can't really keep up with all of it. He's juggling a lot, right? He's got to come up with a plan. He wants out of his marriage. And <laughs> the only, I'm laughing because the only way, according to Bob, to get out of his marriage would be to remove his wife, AKA, you know, get rid of her if you know what I mean. Bob came up with this idea to outsource his dirty work by hiring someone to take his wife out. Bob ends up approaching one of his former special education students. Yes, I said special education student. He goes up to this student and is like, hey, you wanna make $800? All you have to do is shoot and kill my wife. Yeah, and I know, I know. I got stuck on that $800 for just a little too long. I was like, dude, he's getting ripped off. Does he know he's getting ripped off? $800? Now, the next part is a little unclear, but during trial, it was decided that Bob had first tried to convince the student to kill Loretta, his wife, outside of her work, but he ended up being too scared to go through with it. So after the first attempt, Bob approached the student again and was like, hey, you know, like you should try and give it another go. This time, Bob tells the student that instead instead of trying to do it outside of her place of work, you can break into my house I'll leave it unlocked, right? Come in when everyone's asleep and just kill the person in the master bedroom. That's all you gotta do. And you can make $800. So Bob tells his student that he's gonna be away. He's gonna go stay at his girlfriend's for the night. So he wouldn't be there and there wouldn't be like any confusion. It's easy peasy. You're gonna go in there, you're gonna shoot her and then you're gonna get the fuck out. Great guy. Unfortunately, this time the plan did carry out. Those who were inside of the house, who it was Loretta and her four-year-old son, reported hearing two different men in the house. Um, It's unsure what fully happened, but a gunshot was heard and Loretta, she was shot in the freaking face. She would end up losing her eye, but she would survive the attack. 
you go Loretta. It wouldn't be long until Bob would be convicted of attempted homicide, criminal conspiracy, and criminal solicitation, and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. That's it, 10 years. Okay. Okay. So Bob's accomplice received a lighter sentence, which I think all of us could probably agree that that's fair. I think Bob took advantage of him. Bob and Loretta's son, his name was Anthony Todd, he claimed as an adult to have suffered from lifelong nightmares as a result of hearing his mother being shot at night. I mean, it makes sense. It's really sad. But he would go on to end up just like his daddy. Oh, dear. I think it's safe to say that young Anthony's life was off to a pretty rocky start. You see, it was pretty clear to everybody that Anthony's dad tried to kill his mom, Loretta, right? But Loretta, she could not accept this. She truly believed that someone broke into the house, tried to kill her, and then, I don't know, didn't rob her or anything. But it was not her husband, and she stood by that. It was also said that during Bob's trial, Loretta took the stand. She took the stand in Bob's defense, and she was up there crying and wailing. It said wailing specifically. I'm not sure what's the difference between a cry and a wail. I think a wail is something in the ocean. No, I'm just, um, a whale is like a little bit more dramatic, but she's up there. She was trying to convince the jury that Bob was innocent. Poor lady. I mean, come on. So it would take some time, but Loretta did like finally come to. She accepted the reality that Bob did indeed try to have her murdered, which I'm sure wasn't easy, but she eventually got there. And after accepting this, she made a solid attempt to move on with her life and she wanted to do this because she had two young kids at this time. So, girl, you gotta, you gotta. Loretta would also go on to remarry, and she made sure that Anthony and his sister attended many years of therapy, which I was at, I was like, oh, wow, that's the probably the most responsible thing I've heard here on a Monday episode. It didn't work, though, um, because we're here still, so never mind. But still, yeah. <laughs> Makeup. So not a lot to report on Anthony's teenage years, except one important detail, that he ended up meeting the woman he would marry in high school. Her name was Megan, and the two would end up going um, to the same college together. Megan was like two years younger than Anthony, so he went to college, she followed him there, they went to Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut and the couple would end up dating for about eight years before getting married. And they also shared the same religious beliefs. They were practicing Catholics. That's important because religion does play a, a, you'll see, you'll get it. So Anthony would say that Megan and his family were more relaxed when it came to church, but when the two were married, it seemed to become a more consistent and like regular thing. They would go to church on Sundays and do things with the Lord. Things were pretty typical for the couple, I think you could say. After college, they both became physical therapists and would even go on to open their own practice in Connecticut. And then Megan gave birth to their oldest son, his name was Alec, in 2007. And they would go on to have a younger son named Tyler in 2009. They just seemed like this normal, all-American family, right? 
As they always do. Middle-class family living in the suburbs. Things are stable. Things are good. According to Anthony, his wife Megan did have some health concerns. Megan suffered from some stuff with her heart. It was called a mitral valve prolapse and the arrhythmia that resulted from it. But other than that, she was in good health for the entire time they were dating. That is until they took a family trip to Florida to like go to some big amusement park. While there at the hotel, I guess Megan like got bit by a bug at the hotel that they were staying at. And she contracted a bacterial infection around her tonsils, something called, it's a big word that I I can't pronounce, but bacterial infection around her tonsils, you get it. And then she also had drug-induced hepatitis. Yeah, she got this from a bug bite. This had me worried because I didn't even realize that you could like really get this sick from a bug bite. Yeah, call me stupid, call me what you will, but I really didn't know. So I went down like a rabbit hole and now I'm super paranoid about bugs. But anyways, what I'm getting at is after this bug bite situation, Anthony said that his wife, she went from like this very strong, vibrant woman to now she was barely holding on to 90 pounds and just, she wasn't well so like yeah what's up with those bugs though like what kind of bug what bug should i be looking out for i need more details about the bugs i couldn't find any do you think there really were bugs so according to anthony around this time megan was just like real. she was really struggling her weight had dropped significantly she was struggling with depression she couldn't take care of herself and she had i guess several miscarriages which Side note, Anthony, her husband, said that all of the miscarriages were her fault, not his, which is like such a weird thing to point out and say, right? On top of all that, Megan's father had committed suicide. Things were not going smoothly. As I'm sure you can imagine, this would be a lot to deal with. And Anthony said that Megan started to look towards like alternative medicine instead of the traditional medicine. You get what I'm saying. So according to Anthony, it was through alternative medicine that Catholic Megan was now introduced to a new belief system uh, called Hinduism. Oh, yeah. And I'm laughing because just the way he describes these things is so stupid because he was like, oh, she's into Hinduism and she really got into yoga. Therefore, she is very religious because she got into yoga. It was like, okay. I don't know, but anyways, I'm not exactly sure when, but sometime between Megan's diagnosis and before the birth of their daughter, Zoe, in 2016, the whole family, the Todd family, ended up purchasing a property down in Celebration, Florida, and Megan and the kids all moved down. There's two weird things about this move. Well, there's actually three, technically. One, They bought a property they didn't even live in. They rented a completely different one and moved into the rented one. So that was weird. No reason why. Two, Tony kept up his physical therapy practice in Connecticut. And then he would stay there during the week and he would go back to Florida to visit Megan and the kids on the weekend, which is like quite the commute, sir. And he did this for several years. And three, the town of Celebration, Florida is just bizarre in itself. Okay, let me tell you. Celebration, Florida is a master planned community that was created by the Walt Disney Company and has been called a, quote, 1990s utopia, end quote. In my mind, I was thinking magic all of the time. Like you're literally living right next to Walt Disney World, okay? 
So I was like, oh my God, if you live there, Mickey probably wakes you up in the morning, makes you pancakes, the birds and the animals all gather around your house while you sing and make pie. Splash Mountain is your commute to work, you know? That's what I was thinking this was gonna be. And it's just a dud in comparison. Mm -mm -mm. They really missed the mark on this one, okay? If I'm gonna live in a Disney home, this is about murder, Bailey. Let's circle back to that. Anyhow, according to their website, the Southern Style Homes in Celebration were built right next to the Magic Kingdom and they were dreamed up by Walt Disney to create an old-fashioned sense of community. Whenever they say those words, I think everyone gets a little nervous. Like, what does that mean, old-fashioned? In recent years, though, this utopia has reportedly begun to deteriorate and many residents say they are battling leaky roofs, mold, the balconies are like crumbling. Mickey isn't showing up for work anymore. You know, there's just not much to celebrate, garbage. But anyways, the Todds, the family, they purchased a home here and you know, it was like a their dream. I saw some photos of the house, two-story home with a patio that held wicker furniture and an interior that held picture frames on the counters, stuffed animals on the couch, decor on the walls, and an ever-present coat of light blue paint. So this is where they're at. Let's fast forward to 2019. Anthony is still stretching, doing his physical therapy work in Connecticut. The rest of the family is living in Walt Disney celebration. All is as it should be. It's right around the holidays. So the kids are, are involved with like a Christmas pageant. They're very excited about it. They're making family plans for the holidays. All is pretty typical is what I'm getting at. But between Thanksgiving and Christmas, Megan and Tony's rather large extended family, they stop hearing from them. So just crickets, dial tones, straight to voicemails. Now this was odd, obviously, because the holidays are quite lively with the family. I guess usually the Todd's, they would like go on a, a vacation with the extended family. And like, this was normal, they did it every year. But this year, nobody had heard a peep. The family was calling, trying to get in touch, but nothing. Now the family had known that Megan was feeling a little, like she wasn't feeling well, uh, but to hear nothing from her was just very unlike her. So then about a month goes by and again, family members still, they haven't heard anything. Before I get to this next part, let me just say, the family, they asked the police to do wellness checks, but every time they went by the home, nobody answered and they didn't, they just left. And they did this about four or five times, I wanna say. they did that many wellness checks and never got an answer. And then on January 13th, police go out to the family home, the Todd's home, and there's two police officers, they're driving, they pull up to the, the home and they see Anthony out in the front yard. He's like just chilling out there, hanging out on his porch. Well, the police officers notice that Tony like spots them driving in their direction. And he gets up like very quickly and goes straight inside the house. So the police officers are like, all right. <laughs> they park the car, they knock on the door and they're getting no answer. They're like, LOL, we just saw you, bro. We know you're inside. With that being very suspicious in itself and the fact that like nobody had heard from the family in a month now, police decide to enter the home. Now, when they open up that door, what do they notice? A very foul odor. Smells in here. What's that smell? So once they get inside the house, they're like, Anthony, who are you? You know, and they see that Anthony is up at the top of the stairs. He's just standing there and they're like, are you all right? You know, calling 
calling out to him. And Anthony appears to be like really wobbly. He's mumbling his words. He isn't making much sense. So the police are like, can you please, you know, come down here so we can talk to you? And Anthony does, but he does so like really, really slowly. And police are like, all right. You good, bro? He says he was good. Eventually, he gets down the stairs, and the police are like, hey, where are Megan and your kids? And Anthony says, Megan's upstairs sleeping. So officers call out to Megan, and they're calling out, calling out, getting no response. So they decide to head upstairs, and that's when they find her in the master bedroom. Now, it's very clear to police that Megan has been dead in bed, for quite some time, yeah. So they keep looking around, and not only do they discover Megan, but they also find their three kids. Yeah. Alec, Tyler, and Zoe. The kids are were wrapped up in blankets with rosaries in their hands. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Megan and the kids were found with stab wounds, but Zoe and the family dog, the family dog was involved too, didn't have any wounds. A buck knife with a green handle was found in the home and collected as evidence, as were like multiple containers of Benadryl, and there were some containers of Waldril, which I think is like the generic version of Benadryl. I think he was trying to kill someone with generic Benadryl, but I'm very unsure here. Maybe the generic kills better. Anthony, now, given how decomposed the bodies were, certain aspects of the autopsy were hard to figure out. So it was determined that no member of the family had died from their stab wounds, but from, quote, homicidal violence of unspecified means in association with diphen, with, uh, with Benadryl, essentially. So the kids were killed with Benadryl. What a douche. Now, get this. On top of all of that, not only did Anthony perhaps maybe get rid of his whole freaking family, this little weirdo, it had appeared that he was living in the house with the decomposing bodies of his wife and children for weeks, maybe almost a month. That was a choice. I don't know. Like, did he sleep in the bed? Ew. So Anthony's official statement, and I use that term loosely, you'll see why soon, uh, was that he came home from Connecticut and all of his children and his wife were dead. He said that she first killed the children, then the dog, and then she killed herself. This is according to Anthony. Of course, right? Blame the wife. So Anthony told investigators that Megan's murder-suicide was was a result of her deep struggles with depression, but not only that, her mystical and alternative views with Hinduism really influenced her, especially the one concept called family lineage karma burning. Again, all according to Tony. So naturally, I saw family lineage karma burning, and I was like, what is this? So I started Googling, and I'm not sure it exists in the same way that Tony Anthony describes it, But according to him, Megan had like recently become very obsessed with the idea of an impending apocalypse. The world is was ending, baby. And she wanted to make sure that she and her children and also the dog would all be reincarnated into a better life together. And the only way to do that was if they all died together. Dot com slash makeup. Now, to be fair, there was evidence to back up Anthony's story because the last any of Megan's family had heard from her was back in December when Megan sent a text message to Tony's sister claiming that the world was ending on December 28th. There's an apocalypse coming. 
world's ending. So she texted her this. Or did she? Not only that, investigators also found a suicide note in the master bedroom that also backed up that fact. And I'll circle back to that in a minute. Don't you worry. So back at the crime scene, they found eight empty bottles of Benadryl around the house and in the trash cans, some of which had Tony's, Anthony's fingerprints on them. There were two cell phones that were left on the table out on the patio. They also found the buck knife laying on the kitchen counter, which had Anthony's fingerprints on it. And then investigators went back out to the house a second time. And during this visit, that's when they found four broken zip ties and a long red strap that was tied to the bedpost. So it was like, uh uh-oh, what was that about, you know? But I mean, it wasn't all death and apocalypse in the house. Nay, nay. They also found Amazon packages, which were holding like gift wrapped um, presents You know, it was almost Christmas, so there was like wrapped toys hidden away. There was gift wrap that was propped against the wall in different parts of the house. And they also found two BB guns. One was under the bed in the master bedroom and one was in a bag in the closet. Plus on top of that, there was a receipt that showed these BB guns had been like purchased recently, um, assuming it was for Christmas. And within the family car was a school Christmas flyer and a certificate of achievement that one of their boys had received, again, like in school a few weeks earlier. Now, this is all important stuff because to investigators, this situation doesn't seem like people who are getting ready for the end of the world. Like if the end of the world is coming, most likely you wouldn't be preparing for Christmas. Hmm. You know, so many are not really believing Anthony's story here. So like I had mentioned earlier, Megan's family had been quite worried. They called police to do a wellness check and they had done so on separate occasions all throughout January. And again, it wasn't until the fifth attempt that officers made contact with Tony and that's when they found the crime scene. But get this, that's because those officers, well, they weren't there to do a wellness check. Oh, nay, nay. They were there on behalf of the federal government to serve Anthony with a warrant. What for, Bailey? Well, let me tell you. For Medicaid fraud. Oh yeah, baby. So right around Thanksgiving, things weren't going so well in Connecticut. Uh, when investigators, they were working with the Department of Health and Human Services while well, they raided Anthony's physical therapy office in November of 2019. Mm-hmm. Apparently the Department of Health and Services had been investigating Anthony's business for a long time because of the Medicaid fraud. I guess Tony was billing Medicaid and private insurance companies for services that he didn't even do on his patients. So he was lying to make more money and charging and you know, you get it. He's just lying, he's making money, he's lying. Dirty ass lie, little bitch. Okay, but then the best part of all of this is that During the raid, an investigator from the Department of Health and Services or Human Services noted that Anthony actually confessed then and there to the fraudulent activity. It was said that Anthony was trying to play it cool. He was like trying to joke around with the investigators and he's like, hey, yeah, come sit on down, you know, like, would you like a beer? Just trying to be cool. Like, yeah, go ahead, raid my business. I'm not hiding anything. But anyways, that ends up backfiring on him and it didn't take long for them to find stuff. And then Anthony just straight up confesses to investigators and tells them that he had been defrauding Medicaid in order to keep up with some personal loans he'd taken out. And when 
he was asked if he was living above his means, he replied, quote, that's the best way to put it, end quote. And not only that, this guy's just a hot mess because apparently Anthony's license to practice physical therapy in Connecticut had expired like quite some time ago. Not only is he illegally billing these insurance companies, but he was also practicing without a license. God. Ooh, somebody's in trouble, Anthony. I guess it had gotten so bad that the family was going to be evicted from the rental home in Florida. Now it's unclear if the family like Megan knew about this, but this was according to Anthony. After the raid, Tony said he went back to Florida to be with his family. That's when he noticed um, that Megan's health was declining at a very rapid rate. And not only that, like her mental well-being was also not good. She was extremely depressed and really struggling. Now, Anthony, he had a ton of confessions. He was making so many confessions regarding like the Medicaid fraud and all that. Also what happened with his family, he was just dropping confessions left and right, okay? And then after his arrest on January 15th, more confessions are just coming out, but they're different. So his first original confession, which was recorded on January 15th um, about his family, Anthony makes reference to his own attempted Benadryl overdose. When he was taken in for questioning, police asked him like, you know, how are you, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And Anthony was like, I'm feeling very sad and very upset that I'm still here. And they're like, well, where would you rather be? And Anthony was like, well, I'd rather be with my family on the other side. It was very dramatic. Anyway, he stated that in the months leading up to their deaths, Megan had been watching videos that spoke of the afterlife and that she showed them to him like back in April. And they both would watch the videos together. And it was very clear to him, again, according to Anthony, it was very clear to him that Megan was becoming more obsessed with it than he was. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Their research, Megan and Anthony, had led them to an awareness of an impending apocalypse. Just very exhausting. Very exhausting. Anthony would say that this apocalyptic end, it would lead to like the separation of the family. And in order to avoid this from happening, it would be better if they all died together. Like, I guess if you die separately, you don't end up together. So Anthony said that before Thanksgiving, the whole family sat down for a little family meeting. And during this family meeting, that's when they presented the idea of death to the to the kids, to the whole family, even the dog. And they're like, hey guys, how do you feel about all dying together? Let me know. Anthony said that the kids wanted to do so. So he just had to do it for the family. The kids really want to die. Gotta do it. After this family meeting, that's when the whole family decided they needed to make a plan on how to die together. So he said that Megan tried to make a delicious pudding pie out of cough syrup and they were all gonna eat it and all die together. And he said that she made this pie, it was so good. And then in the end, nobody died. So that was disappointing. And then Anthony told investigators that they just kept trying new things and kept doing research, even going as far as to asking the pharmacist at their local grocery store, like, hey, if I wanted to die, what combination would be good for me? I guess that's he did that. I'm not sure 
how that went over. Did they flag his account or something? They should have. I don't know. But okay. Anthony also mentioned that he researched like knife techniques um, on that website called Quora. It's like where you ask questions, Quora.com. Which, if you've ever gone to that website, it's like people are asking some stupid questions like, um, can you get pregnant if someone pees in your butt? And then people respond to your question. Anthony was saying that he used that website to get knife techniques. All right, dude, you know, like, (laughs) all right. During this, he basically maintains that like, yes, he killed the kids, but only because Megan made him do it. Okay, okay, you know what I mean? He would go into details with investigators about how he killed his youngest daughter, which I won't, that Megan was the one who made him smother the youngest daughter with the pillow. And that while he was doing so, Megan like kept coming into the room and checking up on him to see if he was done because he was taking too long. Are you done killing my kids yet? Honestly, during questioning, Anthony was giving like, she's such a nag vibes during his whole confession. Like, yeah, like she kept coming in to check on me. This is a side note, but if you can, you can watch the court trial of this case. Um, I did. <laughs> I couldn't stop because this Anthony guy, once you understand his personality, this whole story makes way more sense. He's just a cocky, arrogant asshole, and he has a fucking answer for everything. He took the stand in his own defense, and it's a hot mess. I'm getting ahead of myself. He's just a douche. So yeah, his wife is such a nag. Their oldest son was like fast and strong, according to Anthony. So he and Megan were a little concerned about him getting away, but Megan was also there to help hold him down, which this is, again, another side note. uh, But if your kid wants to die, then why are you concerned about them getting away? You know, just, okay. So according to Anthony, after they were done, killing the kids. He said that Megan like stood outside of the master bedroom door trying to figure out like, what do we do from here? And Anthony said that next Megan took some Benadryl. She just took a bunch of Benadryl. She downed a glass of wine. And then to finish herself off, she stabbed herself. And that's how she died. Mm-hmm. So quick side note, again, sorry, I keep doing this, but I looked into it and stabbing yourself in the abdomen is not only one of the most painful and slow ways to die, but also very uncommon when it comes to suicides. Like less than 3% of suicides are attempted this way. Not saying it couldn't have happened, just saying it didn't happen, in my opinion. Anthony said that he had tried to kill himself a bunch of times. He tried to, to hang himself, pills, cutting himself, and nothing was working, Uh, you know? He didn't have enough energy left for himself. So remember the suicide note that they found in Megan's room? Well, it turns out that the contents of this note kind of backs up a lot of the things that Anthony was saying. It was a long note. I was gonna read it for you, but it's just too long. It was typed for starters. The suicide note said that the end of the world is coming that the family does not want to go through it. They don't want to see the what's whatever's going to happen. Also in the suicide letter, it mentioned that Megan wanted to be out of her daily pain. She said that living was torture because breathing hurt, just her whole body hurt all the time and she wanted out. Also something that needed to be noted from the suicide note is that it said, we live in constant fear of Robert. Robert being Bob, Anthony's dad, 
the dad who killed or tried to kill, remember the mom? So in the suicide note, it said like, we're living in constant fear of Robert, which was strange. And that their final wish is that they are kept together to put their ashes along with their dog's ashes in the ocean and that they be respected and and may they rest eternally. It was just a lot of mumbo jumbo. At the end of the suicide note, it just says like, I love you all and four exclamation points. Yay, you know, it was like, yay. She was excited, I guess. So the suicide letter typed for starters. Second of all, mentioned Bob, which is weird because Bob and Anthony had gotten together like two times since he had been out of prison. I kind of low-key think that maybe Anthony had asked his dad like, hey daddy, so remember that time we tried to kill mom? How'd you do that? Probably trying to get advice. It was just kind of odd. It was an odd thing to mention. So despite the evidence and presence of a recorded confession, Anthony pled not guilty to the charges of three counts of first degree murder and one count of animal cruelty. I'm just gonna call him Tony because I keep trying to call him Tony. Anthony is Tony. Tony is Anthony. Tony pled not guilty and claimed it was like his wife that killed herself and her children. This is confusing because that's not what he said in his first confession. Now he's claiming that the wife had killed herself and her children. So he's flip-flopping, he's panicking or something, I don't know. The court ended up relying on statements from law officers, um, forensic specialists, and the detective who originally obtained um, Tony's uh, uh, confession. And obviously the court testimony of Tony, because again, his ass took the stand. He literally took the stand in his defense. And if you're ever bored and you wanna be angry at something, go watch his ass on the stand. Cause you will be. Sometimes you're just in the mood to be angry, you know? Maybe that's just me. So yeah, like mentioned, there are two confessions. There's the official court confession where he blames Megan, but then there's the recorded like original confession where he says that he and Megan did it together. So why did his story change? Because he did it is my assumption, I don't know. Of course, he had answers as to why his story changed. Tony said that when the officers first showed up to his home, when they asked him to like come down the stairs, Tony said that he actually fell down the stairs and he injured his head, causing memory loss. So he had no idea. He's like, I actually don't even remember giving a confession. That's crazy. And then they're like, well, you gave a confession. This is what you said. And, and then Anthony's like, oh yeah, I did say that because I wanted to protect my wife. Yeah. So I said, I did it to protect my wife. Wow, what a guy, thanks. So during trial, like the suicide note had come up and the prosecutor had challenged him on the note because it was weirdly hand typed. It didn't make a lot of sense. It wasn't kind of in Megan's language, you know, her how she normally speaks or types. And above all, didn't match Tony's official court confession that Megan did it all. But have no fear, Tony had an answer for that too. He's like, oh yeah, actually I have an answer. Let me tell you. He said that he was forced to retype her suicide note because the original one was completely ruined from being in the pocket of his quote, urine-soaked pants, end quote. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay, get this. Anthony said that Megan had stuffed the original suicide note in his pants before she killed herself and that during one of his many suicide attempts, he peed his pants destroying the note. He peed on her note and he was like, the pee erased her note. So I had to retype it. 
And that's why it doesn't make sense. And that's why it's not in her verbiage because I peed on it. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. It doesn't because he did it. So Tony's explanation for why the letter didn't corroborate his new crazy wife did it all by herself confession was because when he retyped the peed note, he forgot to include the last little bit of the note, which said, quote, Tony, I love you forever. Please forgive me. He's like, I forgot to type that, but it was there. It was totally there. It was just peed away, everyone. So during trial, Tony started off crying. He's sad. He's very sentimental. And then when he's examined or questioned by the prosecutor, he becomes, ooh, you just hate him. He's annoyed. You could tell he's like thinks he's smarter than everybody in the room. His responses were terrible and made him look very bad. So Megan's aunt, who was considered a very close relative, she ended up giving a testimony at the end of the trial. No, I'm sorry. It was, clo it was uh, following the closing statements. Now in it, she paints a very, very different picture of Megan um, than Tony had. She told them how Megan and the children were extremely involved within the community. She talked about how Megan would bring neighbors soup or um, like treats and stuff, like if they didn't feel good or celebrating something. Also going on to say that the children would play concerts at old people homes. Wait, can I say that old people homes? What are those called? Retirement homes? She didn't say anything about an apocalypse is what I'm saying. Cynthia also told the court about how Tony would call both her and Megan back to back to back to back to back. If like he called Megan and she didn't answer her phone, he would go psycho and be that dude who would call like 50 times. And you know, he's just looking a little, a little possessive there my friend. After a four-day trial on April 22nd, 2022, ooh, 22-22, Anthony was found guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for each family member. Plus, on top of that, one year for animal cruelty. Good. Bye. So while they're reading the verdict, Anthony is like shaking. It was said he was shaking. He was kind of like saying like, no. No, and his hands were shaking and stuff. I don't know what, what kind of show he was putting on, but no one believed it. So according to Megan's uncle, his name's Stuart, this is a quote, quote, Tony's world started to crumble about six years ago and then became more unmanageable when Megan and the children moved to Florida. He thinks Tony blamed his family for a lifestyle that he couldn't maintain and that instead of just like trying to fix it, he just decided to end everything. And honestly, that sounds about right. The Medicaid fraud was not allowed in the murder trial for some reason. I can't seem to figure out. I think it was gonna be its own trial, but it shows that in addition to all the legal trouble Tony was in, he was also in over $100,000 of personal debt and was being sued by two New York um, loan companies that he owed money to. So this dude, I mean, he was in deep. He was in some serious financial trouble. It's believed that that's the motive. Nobody nobody really knows like the truth because Tony's confession and everything he has to say, it constantly changes. Even like to this day, he has changed his confession again. I don't know what it is now. It was something stupid, stupid idiot. So where is he now? What's Anthony Todd up to today? So obviously he's in prison and he doesn't really have much contact with the outside world, right? But the one person he does have contact 
with, besides his lawyer, is uh, his father, Bob Todd. Now, despite the guilty verdict, uh, Anthony, he still maintains that he is innocent, okay? And his wife is the one who killed everybody, and he wasn't even there that night. Just another news story. Anthony has filed an appeal and is waiting for that to, to happen. And according to Tony's father, Bob, the trial primarily focused on the confession given by Anthony when he was suffering from a head injury. Remember, he fell down the stairs, allegedly. So Bob is like, yeah, he shouldn't have like even been questioned then because he had a head injury. And Bob believes that the jury had hung on to that confession just way too much. And he thinks the confession should have been thrown out because his son's mental state. Okay, Bob. Don't take legal advice from Bob if we learned anything here. No, I think if we learned anything here, it's don't freaking kill your whole family. My God. So that's the end of the story. I kind of hope Anthony lives a really long, miserable life in prison. Um, sorry about it, not really. But yeah, this it just like runs in the family or something. His dad is, he only served 10 years or something like that. So his dad is free and out and just living his best life. That in itself is concerning. Anthony's a piece of shit. That's really all I can say. But other than that, um, I appreciate you for hanging out with me today. I hope you have a wonderful day today. You make good choices and I'll be seeing you guys later. Goodbye.